Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of early Grays Anatomy. My name is Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And join us for Season 2, Episode 8, Let It Be. Uh, oh my god, I finished Stranger Things. That's oh. a different issue, but I finished Stranger Things last oh, night. Oh, isn't it so it. good? It was really heartbreaking. <laughs> didn't I know the last I'd episode? I'd be lying was... if I said I didn't tear up a little bit. Oh, for sure. For sure. Winona Ryder just broke my heart into 100,000 pieces every I time know. she interacted with like her own children or Elle. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, her interactions with Elle like ruined uh. me. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, moms are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was so good in that show, I thought. Yeah, I want her to win every single award available. <laughs> There's a really funny video, I think it's a BuzzFeed video, of the three of the kids, Elle and then two of the boys, testing toys and candy from the 1980s. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's I like saw it, but haven't watched it. It's, now that you've seen the whole thing, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> They eat pop rocks. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, anyway, it was it was really good, and it was far less infuriating than this episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> you had one. It's you're up for the summary, so you can tackle that. Uh, um, yeah, but I do think that you have like a good one line in here that really could serve as as the summary. <laughs> But yes, you can. Uh, do you feel ready to? Oops, I do. Okay. I think I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. In this episode, Yang and Burke go on their first date outside of the hospital. O'Malley interacts with a suicidal man. Uh, an old woman and her husband don't want each other to know that she's dying of cancer. And then Addison and Derek's friends come to town and Addison's friend wants to have preventative surgery because she tested positive for the cancer gene. And Derek and the friend's husband are real douches about it. Furthermore, the chief thinks he knows what's best for Bailey's future. And Stop. Meredith continues to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> she is... Really, like, a, we all know it's not peak sadness, but she's approaching, which is even more heartbreaking. But yeah, it's really Ooh. hard to know that things just get worse from here for Meredith. Yeah, this is just like a small <laughs> hill of her. Yeah, <laughs> of this her. is not even close to the valley. <laughs> That's right. <sighs> so... Where should we even start with this episode? I think, so here's what I think we should do. I think that we should just kind of roll through all of the the smaller storylines okay. and end with our big Addison, Derek, and their friends, Weiss and Savvy. Okay. Eyes roll out of skull <laughs> at those names. <laughs> Not Weiss, that's fine, but Savvy. Uh... Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, I think maybe we should just get the other things kind of out of the way because I think we have less to say. Okay. About all right. All right. All right. <laughs> let's start with, should we start with Yang and Burke? Yeah. Let's, let's go. Oh, God. Let's go with Yang and Burke. Yang and Burke go on their first date. And I personally, my favorite part about this date is when Christina is preparing for the date and she goes through several different dresses and she looks <laughs> amazing in all of them. We get to see her half naked Smoking several times. Hat. And there's also, I don't know if you caught this, but when she's pulling off her scrub 
top. She like bends over and her thong is like hanging out of her scrub bottoms. I just was like kind of surprised. Like it's a that's a little bit edgy for, you know, 2005 yeah. ABC. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that was really my f- highlight of this entire interaction because this date was more or less insufferable. Yeah. I also like that Izzy, you know, says something super encouraging and Izzy like, you know, she's like, you look hot or you're hot or whatever. (laughs) Yang just goes, well, clearly (laughs) moves on to whatever she's complaining about. (laughs) She's like, she says something like I could do hot in my sleep. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, "Okay, Izzy, please (laughs) just shut up. (laughs) You're conventionally beautiful, but I'm hot. That's right. (laughs) So they go out to dinner at this fancy fucking restaurant. And Burke just is, he's so terrible. He's so terrible. He continues his campaign for the worst, capital T, capital W. Yeah, you know, and it's really a tough race in this episode. But Burke is really, you know, he tries hard to be the worst in this episode. Let's like, can we just like count down the red flags in this date? There are just so many. I want to start with the butter judgment. (laughs) That Yang asks for butter for her bread, and Burke says, here, enhance her olive oil, which we all know is not butter. It has its place in the world, but it is not butter. Okay? And she's like, that's olive oil. I said I wanted butter. And he rolls his eyes at her or something. Like, oh, God. He just, like, kind of scoffs and looks at her super confused, like, what do you mean by this butter object? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like his programming does not include. Which I, I just know. want to say that his mother owns a soul food restaurant in Louisiana. And that is public knowledge on this show. So why is he being so goddamn yeah. judgy about butter? And we don't know that yet, but okay, it just well, kind of highlights the just sort of internal contradictions of Burke as a character. Like they just did a slapdash job. <clears throat> writing Preston Burke. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's the next one? So first he judges her for butter and women everywhere are like, oh, okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> then he tries to order for her because she asks for, or he, he orders Chardonnay, which, okay, I have a lot of feelings on white wine and... <laughs> My number one feeling is that white wine is not wine. And I won't back down from that hot take. I stand by it forever. And Chardonnay is the least wine form of all (laughs) wines, I think. Yes. (laughs) You know, I will stand for rosé as wine before I will white wine, which tastes like yeast and nothingness. (laughs) So (laughs) Burke is ordering his his Chardonnay and Yang is like, no, I'll actually have whatever a Zinfandel or something I forget what she wants but she wants an actual wine okay right (laughs) and Burke's like oh but Chardonnay will go better with our fish or whatever it is which again oh god I have so many pet peeves but people who pair their wines with food make me fucking crazy (laughs) you know what goes well with my meal whichever wine I have on hand you (laughs) douche nozzle like I'm going to eat my tilapia with my Cabernet Sauvignon. Why? Because I love my Cabernet Sauvignon and I'm just going to drink it whenever I damn well please because I bought it for myself for that express purpose. So then she says, oh, well, I'm having the steak. And Burke says, oh, you eat red meat as though he's just found out she's killed a man. 
I'm so sorry. I just missed so much. <laughs> I just want to take this opportunity to tell you how much I love you. <laughs> it is immediately clear from the moment they walk into this restaurant that it is not going to go well and something no. needs to happen to change the tone of this date. Um, and I think that we all recognize that somebody in the restaurant is like, even before I, if you're watching this for the first time, I'd imagine that you would know that somebody is going to choke in this restaurant. Right? <laughs> yes. like, clearly. And if, on either food or just this insufferable and thank atmosphere, God. <laughs> you know, and thank God. Right. So this man has Marfan syndrome, it turns out, and he passes out, I guess. And some woman I think this is the first time she's ever been on stage. Stands up and says, "Help! Is there is there a doctor in here?" And it's like the most like disbelievable panic I've ever heard. She really wants to own her moment, and yeah. instead never gets hired again for no. anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, he passes out, and so they of course rush over, and he really just, in my opinion, is the hero of this episode. <laughs> You know, he really is. He's we the really only man who's a hero. <laughs> That's right. Because he's passed out. Yeah. <laughs> and cannot somehow make things worse. <laughs> so, of course, Burke and Yang, you know, just bounce into action to save this guy from the cardiac episode he's having. And I don't know. By the end of the episode, they feel like because they're a good surgical team, they're a good couple. And I just... <laughs> I feel, were they not at the same date that I watched? Because I'm very confused about the conclusions they draw from that date. I agree. And Christina's like, <laughs> Burke's like, well, we never really got our date. And Christina's like, are you kidding me? That was the best date ever. And I just want to be like, you're like your colleagues. <laughs> you know? right? like, that was the best night shift ever. You know? like, yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah. I I also fail to really see. <laughs> I don't. I just <laughs> something that becomes a real pattern on this show is that Christina Yang has demonstrably terrible taste in men. <laughs> yes, that really is true. Meredith, Meredith has she's has bad luck with men, but she actually has her taste is quite good in men. I think. Anyway. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And Yang, God bless her, just just does not. Oh, my God. She just needs to be single. She really does. Yeah. She just needs. Oof, oof. She, she really shouldn't date. You know, no. I mean, I, I totally agree that her judgment can't be trusted. It can't be at all. <laughs> and she doesn't really even seem to like dating or being, no. you know, in a relationship. Or men. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, mm, I just I don't know. It's really it's really difficult. It's too bad. So that's that. That's that. I have nothing else to say about that. So I think we could talk about O'Malley super briefly. Oh, yeah. That'll just take a minute. So O'Malley's, you know, he's eating a bagel outside the hospital in the morning and a bird shits on his bagel and <laughs> it causes him to like slightly move forward in disgust to like walk away like, oh, I guess I'm not going to have this disgusting bagel. And then a man falls from the sky and kind of like unfortunately doesn't land on George. <laughs> so I was rooting for that, but yeah. it doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. So anyway, George spends the whole episode being really manic about fate. And, you know, if you hadn't fallen, 
I would have died. We both would have died. And this guy who survives with minimal injuries is just not impressed by the situation at all. And he's clearly depressed, like clearly was a jumper, didn't just fall. He's a window washer. So they're like, oh, he fell from his post. No, it's quite obvious from this man's body language and his one word answers that he didn't want to be on this earth anymore. (laughs) Anyway, George is really just all about, like, this is fate. Everyone gets a second chance. Let me help you find your ex, your your ex-girl, as this guy refers to the woman, who it turns out works at the hospital, works in billing, and is like, oh, he could have checked on me 10 years ago. Like, it's clear that this dude is delusional about, you know, who the one was. And this is coming from a person who gets hung up on the one, like, every other month. (laughs) So (laughs) it says something that I have no sympathy for this guy. Anyway, he dies in surgery. That's it. (laughs) And George's life feels meaningless as a result. (laughs) I mean, George is really terrible in this episode. You know, he's... He just... He's very dim. He's not recognizing any signs of depression or suicidal behavior. And... I frankly I think this guy Mr. Vargas the guy who fell or I'm sorry the guy who jumped is is like pretty annoying pretty dim George is pretty annoying pretty dim and I just don't care about this case (laughs) no (laughs) to be honest it was a throwaway I liked though (laughs) what did you find really peaceful sort of oh yeah you know so at the very beginning so the man fell on the pigeon that had shit on um George's bagel and they're so so he's got pigeon on his back he's killed the pigeon because he landed on it and there's this scene where yang and george are picking pigeon pieces out of his back and i just thought that that looked kind of like therapeutic and fun to be honest (laughs) it reminded me a little bit of the game like like they found the beak and then they found like you know a talon (laughs) and i was just sort of thinking about it like it reminds me a little of the game operation And it's a lot of like very careful, delicate work. And I just think that that would bring me a lot of satisfaction. It's like a coloring book, you know. I'm okay I'm with gonna how crazy I'm going to say that, that I sounds. don't, but <laughs> that's I okay. You. That's okay. And I'm really happy that you found your zen. Yeah, thank you. It was really the only shining light of this particular case. So should we move on to the old people? Yeah, the Sorrentos. Esme, Esme Sorrento and her husband. Yeah. Mr. Sorrento. <laughs> <laughs> so I will just, my disclaimer is that I'm a huge sucker for really old people who are still really in love with each other. It, so how did you do with the notebook? So are you like pro notebook? Oh, no. Well, oh, I mean, okay. I, okay. I'm a sucker for it, but like, Oh, that made me uncomfortable. Like, I don't like, I don't know. I, the, like the notebook I had a hard time with because there's that, the Alzheimer's piece to it made me Mm. really uncomfortable. And I felt like, I, I don't know that, that piece of that, I I enjoyed that story, but the movie at the end with the old people dying together, really, I have a really hard time with that. But I do think that it's very sweet how dedicated he is to his wife and that he chooses to live there, right? Similar sentiment, right? Yes. Them dying together, I thought was very over the top and made me uncomfortable. But the love that they share for each other. So anyway, Esme and Mr. Sorrento, she's having a gallbladder issue. It turns out it's cancer. It's always cancer. It's always fucking cancer. And they tell, before she wakes up, they tell the husband and he says, please don't tell her, you know, we're going to Venice or something like that. Um, I just, 
I just want to take her home and be with my wife. I don't want her to have treatment. Like we've had a wonderful life and I just want her to, you know, die in my arms or whatever. Which and has he never course, been to a hospital before? Like, does right. he understand that that's not how like patient confidentiality works or like I don't know, patient man. He's doctor relations old. at all? <laughs> he seems really confused. Yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, Esme wakes up. Meredith like doesn't want to is wants to be like, okay, I won't. <laughs> Because she's so meek and so, like, worn away right now that she mm-hmm. she's just like, okay. She's like, that seems reasonable. That's I get fun. it. <laughs> I get it. And so Bailey, of course, says that you have to. And Esme wakes up and, and she tells her, and Esme, of course, says, please don't tell my husband. I don't want him to worry about me, yada, yada, yada. And so they, like, go softly into the night together in this bubble <laughs> of ignorance. <laughs> And I really like, I'd love for you to just talk for a second about, about the reflection that you see in Meredith with enjoying this, this particular storyline. I just feel like this is a really, this is really bad timing for Meredith to encounter this case for a lot of reasons, but primarily because I've, like a light bulb goes off in Meredith's head when she realizes that a relationship can in fact be built on a lie. (laughs) You can just see, like, the relief and the hope just <laughs> flood into her eyes. And it's it's a scary moment. <laughs> it's, nothing good can come of that realization. <laughs> nothing good at all can come from that. <laughs> that's why she's okay with not telling Esme. She's like, yeah. that's fine. She's <laughs> like, oh, wow, look at these old folks. Yeah. I personally started off really liking this storyline because I think it's sweet how in love they are and like they obviously care a lot for each other and I think that's sort of refreshing when it's just a shitstorm all around the show all the time right now. And I, toward the end, just got impatient and thought I think that it's because this episode brings me into like a pretty bad mental space. And so by the end, when they were leaving together, I was just like, I don't fucking care about you guys anymore. Yeah. (laughs) You did a 180 in your notes. I was, yeah. I, what turned for you? It was nothing about them. I just think that I got so down on how people were treating each other in this episode and how, I mean, we'll get into the Derek and Addison and Weiss and Savvy part, Savvy part. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I, I truly think that this episode brought me down so low. It literally took me two hours to, watch this episode in its entirety and take notes on it because it just I was part of that two hours (laughs) it just wears me down and so I think that I was just feeling so jaded by all of the other storylines that are happening that not even the sweetest fucking old people on the planet could bring me any sort of optimism (laughs) or hope that's that's fair you know it just came to the end and I was like I was just like, I just don't care. Like, I just don't believe you. I don't believe in your story anymore. (laughs) And that's sad, but it's just how I felt. Oh boy. Yeah. It was, it was that, it was that kind of episode. (laughs) So, so let's, let's, I think, talk about finally, I think finally, uh, the chief and Bailey. Yeah. And then, and then we can kind of move on to Weiss and his wife. What's her name? I refuse to say it. 
All I can think anytime I see or hear that her name is Savvy, I just see Johnny Depp's character from Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy. <laughs> and I hate myself, and I hate her, and I hate Johnny Depp. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so... The chief, the chief and Bailey, this is a really brief, it's funny because there's a huge reveal at the end of this episode that I don't think either of us make mention of in nope. our notes because we were so fed up by the time we made it through the end of this shit show. Yep. But basically Bailey is reviewing her applications for different fellowships because she's, she's almost done with her residency and the chief is really trying to sell Seattle Grace, which that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I described the program as the University of Phoenix of medical residencies and fellowships, and I stand by that. <laughs> but he's like, you know, really trying to sell it to Bailey, and he's getting increasingly frustrated that Bailey sort of shrugs him off. And then at the end of the episode, he's like, I get it. You're being wooed. I can't believe you would be this thankless to me in this program, though. I thought, you know, we meant more to you. Whatever. He's just going off. And she's like, she's like, I'm not being wooed. I'm pregnant. <laughs> but she does have the best line. You, you <laughs> go for it. In that when she's telling the chief. Because she's working her ass off. She is hauling ass in this episode. And her interns are being stupid. And she has, like, five surgeries in this day. She is clearly worn down. The chief is biting at her heels, just being annoying and trying to make decisions for her like every other male on the show. And and she starts to tell him her symptoms that she's having. You know, my feet are swollen. Um, I'm burning 3,000 calories a day, whatever. And she starts translating those symptoms into the medical differences, what, like what happens to your body when you're carrying a male versus when you're carrying a female um, fetus. And she, and she's saying that that boys, when you when you when you're having a boy, you burn more calories. And she says, "Men, from the very beginning, they just suck the life right out of you." <laughs> and I just think that that should have been the title of this episode. <laughs> And then the chief is like, what? And she's like, I'm pregnant, you blind moron. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just all of us in that moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's about it's it. It's really, it's just, it's great. And <laughs> I love that she feels totally comfortable referring to the chief of surgery as mm. blind moron, yeah. uh, which he is. He yep. is. Yep. And... <laughs> I just, I sort of summarize the Chief Bailey case. I think this leads us immediately into the Weiss and his wife case <laughs> and Yang Burke and just everything. Um, that every single man in this episode thinks he knows what's best for the women in this episode. <laughs> and the show doesn't like let the men get away with that. But mm -hmm. it's still totally exhausting and completely infuriating to watch unfold. Yep. So with that, <sighs> shall with we that, discuss Addison and Derek's dear friends? Please do. Will you? Who will are you? just like uglier versions. Of they really are. That was a really good observation. I don't know how <laughs> I didn't see that until you told me. <laughs> Teresa proceeds to call. <laughs> so it's this couple, Weiss and Savvy, and she proceeds to call Weiss for the entire episode, Ugly Derek. <laughs> 
He just is. He's like, he's a pale, pale imitation of mm. Derek. Like, he dresses kind of the same. His hair is approximating Derek's hair. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's shadow. He's shadow Derek. Yeah, shadow Derek. That's he's a- from the upside down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> will you will you just give us a brief summary of this you know what? I would case. love to. I would Thank love you. to summarize this clusterfuck of a storyline. Great. Great. <laughs> so basically, <clears throat> Allison and Derek's friends, Savvy and Weiss, come to town. And Savvy, the, the woman, she um, has tested positive for the BRCA1 or 2. I, I can't remember. Um, but the cancer gene. And she's come to see Addison to have a preventative mastectomy and hysterectomy because that will significantly decrease her chances of ovarian cancer and breast cancer. And she's just lost her mother to, I believe it's ovarian cancer, is that right? right? Within the month, she's lost her mother. And so Addison is like, you know, is like, okay, let's, let's do this. And... Weiss enlists Derek, who is a neurosurgeon yep. and a man, <laughs> yep. and therefore has nothing of value to contribute to Savvy's decision here. Nope. <laughs> he still, for whatever reason, enlists Derek to convince Savvy out of this procedure because he and Savvy are trying to have children and whatever, whatever. And so it turns into just this kind of meta commentary. Of course it turns into a meta commentary on Addison. (laughs) I am shocked Uh, on Addison and Derek's marriage and, and the fact that they are, you know, opposing parties in pretty much everything. They're not partners. They are, they are adversaries in every single thing that they encounter. Even on the commute to work. Ah, God. <laughs> so, so that's that's pretty much the storyline. It just it just follows this really contentious debate that shouldn't be a debate. And it's it's so it's so infuriating to watch and and the guy, the husband Weiss, just takes it to a really ugly place. And I feel like even Derek, like I'm annoyed with Derek for this whole episode, but I feel like even Derek is kind of em- embarrassed by his friend at a certain point and is like, yeah, get it together, man. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. So Weiss's issue, it, his issue with the surgery is that she's might lose her sex drive. Yeah. Is like his number one reason. And thus right. he might lose his wife because his wife is her sex drive. Right. Apparently. And I just cannot tell you how it, it just it just makes me so sad to watch this. It just like I don't know if this is an episode that would air today, ten years later. But, but I just I don't know. I, I'm I'm truly at a loss for like. <laughs> I just it's, it's so awful. It is it is truly as as a human being, female or otherwise. It is difficult to watch this. And and I think that I was thinking about it. I wrote down, you know, 50,000 angry notes about this particular case. And I was she really of, did. Listening. I did. It's it's a rant. And I sort of went back and was thinking about it. And I think that my 
view or, or my experience watching this episode is heavily influenced by the current election through which we're all suffering mm. um, because because it it feels reflective of that. OK, it feels reflective of, no, this is how women are talked about and this is how women are treated. And I would like to think that we've come a lot further than this episode 10 years later. And right now I feel like I'm in a time warp from the past with the things that are being said, um, even just, you know, in the last <clears throat> day from the person who is running for president. Right. And and I just I, I I truly think that that clouded my view of this particular episode and just really influenced the way that I thought about it. So it's very difficult for me to talk about it with any sort of unbiased opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a really I think that's a valuable thing to note. Right. That we watched this episode. Uh, both of us watched this episode last night, Friday night. And the news had just broken about what the Republican candidate had said about women and, you know, about sort of not sort of about not requiring consent to, you know, go after a woman or pursue a woman. And so then you and I sat down to watch this really heavy episode where men are just making fools of themselves and treating women as though they have any jurisdiction over their bodies whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, of course, that's going to inform how, how we relate to this storyline and to Weiss's character particular, in particular. I, I think that there is a storyline here. Like, I think that there's, there's a narrative to be shown about women who elect to have this preventative, these preventative surgeries, potentially plural, and 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 what that does mean for their partner, right? Because because yeah. that is their partner, and and it's a relationship, and sex is of course a hugely important part of that relationship, and you know affection and and all of that stuff, and I get that, but. Yeah. Weiss is not articulating any of that in in a sensitive, like in a remotely sensitive or understanding or empathic way. You know, his quotes are very much just, you know, she could lose her sex drive. Right. Or, you know, I guess I'm just the guy who likes to screw his wife. And it's like what you just said that out loud to another human being like what? (laughs) No, I think that's right. And I think that even at the sort of the when they first are introduced, when we're first introduced to to this couple in this case, I was frustrated with how she was talking to him. You know, that he was saying, like, she she won't even listen to me. You know, I'm her husband. Don't I get a say and things like that. And I was sort of trying to think about if this were happening in my life. Right. Like what I would say to my husband and what you know, what that would heaven forbid if like we had to cross that bridge. Right. And I do think that there's something to be said for including your partner in that conversation, right? I think yeah. that there is something to be said for that. And and I quickly like backpedaled on that because of exactly what you're saying, because of his extremely incoherent, polarizing thoughts on it. You know, like he wasn't, it's not so much that I think that she was shutting him out, but she was shutting out his his insane, baseless arguments, you know? Right. Like I would shut him out too, that I don't think that, I was frustrated initially that she wasn't including him, but that, but she shouldn't with that, with what he was bringing to the table, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like if that's, that's, yes, that's exactly right. Like if that's all that he could muster as a counterpoint 
for her having this procedure, then it's not worth engaging with. Exactly. It's just, it's just not worth it. You know, he's not, he's, he doesn't want to have a, a true conversation about it. He just wants to be mad. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's, you know, who wants to engage that kind of conversation? And I just, <clears throat> at one point he and Derek are, you know, sitting on a gurney and they're just talking amongst themselves and Derek's saying, you know, you can do this. Like this is, this is going to be okay. You love each other. And I don't, I don't necessarily hate Derek in this, Mm-mm. in this episode really. Like I think he's kind of in a tricky place. I think I'm annoyed that he's involved at all, I guess, yeah. because you know, he's trying to make the case to Addison, you know, Addison saying this is a medical case that has nothing to do with you. And he's saying, these are our friends. It has everything to do with me. And I don't really think that's fair. That's not how that works. Like, you don't get a committee of your friends together to decide what you're going to do with your body. That's just not, that's not how the world works. But in this moment, he's kind of trying to talk Weiss down and Weiss, Weiss is again, just being really aggressive and defensive, even with Derek and is like, you know, is that what you, is that what you said about you and you and Addison? And, and, you know, he's alleging he's alluding to the cheating and the separation. And Derek kind of rightly bristles at that, that yeah. this is a totally different thing. Your wife, you did not walk in on your wife in bed with your best friend. Like your wife loves you and <laughs> has done nothing to betray you kind of a thing. You know, I, those aren't his exact words, but that's yeah. kind of the thrust of the conversation. And that's exactly right. She's done nothing he's acting as though she's betrayed this trust by choosing something for her body and for her life. Right. (laughs) And that's just a totally irrational response to the situation. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right. And I think that he, so he eventually walks out, you know, he gets wasted and he says something like, here's to losing my wife or he says something truly terrible and yeah like they're all doing toasts and they're all doing like kind of reasonable you know sort of bittersweet toasts yeah and he's plastered and is like here's to losing your wife here's to the guy who can't support his wife or whatever yeah Yeah, it's awful and then he doesn't show up for surgery the next day and I think that this is really the icing on the cake of this particular story uh, this case is that then it becomes about how he's not there And I hate that. I really hate that, that she's on the table and they're about to put her under and she's, you know, Savvy's like, oh, you know, he's not, he, he might not show, you know, what am I going to do? And they're, they're sort of like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, you're going to be fine. And, and, and then he shows up, of course he shows up and we're like lauding him for showing up, you know, like, look, I did it. And it's like, still this is not about you this is not about your presence this is not about your body right like it just makes me so mad and I think that we see that so often in you know in the the media in general right like do uh, rewarding men for doing the bare minimum of something you you know I don't you know what I mean like I just like it's like he shows up and he's waiting for a treat you know like look at me I did it and it's like, this has nothing, I don't care that you did it. Like, you already fucked this up. And, right. and this has nothing to do with you. You know, I don't know. It just, it just makes me so, it's just such an awful, awful ending. It doesn't, 
you know, so it relates her struggle to a guy again, instead of just letting her struggle kind of stand on its own. And it's also apparently supposed to absolve him of all of the horrible things he said earlier. Like, you think she's not worried about her sex drive? Like, do you think she's not worried about being attractive to her husband anymore? How dare you double down on what are obviously her innate fears about pursuing this procedure and exploit those fears to your own game. Like, fuck you for that. How insensitive and callous can you possibly be to just to to just expand on those fears and basically prove them to be totally accurate and rightfully held? I mean, it's just it's appalling to watch because she talks to Izzy. She talks to Alex about you know, of course she's worried that she's not going to yeah. be sexy anymore or whatever and all of these things. And and he's acting as though she's she's not thinking about that shit. And it's like, yeah. you know, maybe she's not talking to you about it because your response is, I just want to screw my wife. <laughs> right, right, right. And and in the end, he shows up only because Derek encourages him to, to, him to do so at right. the last minute. You know, he has this conversation with Derek and he's like, dude, if you don't get in there now, it's going to be ruined forever or whatever, you know, sort of last minute, get in there. You have to do this. And I get furious at that too, right? Because he doesn't show up for all of the myriad of reasons that both his wife and his wife's doctor have mm-hmm. said that this surgery is a good idea as a reasonable choice. And he does it because his male friend gives him a slap on the ass and sends him in. And it's yeah. just, and once again, just completely undermining his relationship and his wife and and it's just and we're going to get into this with the medical fact of the week but I want to point out that a double mastectomy can be a procedure it's a procedure that can take up to eight hours and Mm. this guy was not going to show up for that right (laughs) to like say goodbye to his wife before she goes into a potentially eight hour massive surgical intervention (laughs) what i that's that's horrific to me i uh, it's it's actually it's truly unfathomable to me i just i feel like i feel like every man has a right to disagree with a choice that a woman makes with her body and at the end of the day that man also has to recognize that it's her body and i right. feel that way about preventative surgery i feel that way about abortion and i would say this the same thing about men you know that like if there was something yeah. you know i you are entitled to bodily autonomy it is something it is a very very basic human right in my opinion and uh, and this i don't know this case just yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like the, the perfect example is a vasectomy, right? If your right. wife or your partner is pressuring you to have a vasectomy and you truly do not want to have a vasectomy, that that's it. That's right. <laughs> right. They're they're not her testicles. Right. Like, right. They're exactly. yours. You know, exactly. and if, again, if that means that you guys can't continue to be together, then that then it is what it is. That's fine, because at the end of the day, you're the ultimate decision maker about what happens to your body. Right. So that's this episode. (laughs) I think we both just ended. We both actually, without talking to each other about it, uh, agreed that Addison and Savvy should just run off together. Clearly. We both both not only we didn't talk about it, but we both explicitly wrote that line in our notes (laughs) from this episode. (laughs) And that's really abundantly clear what should happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's the (laughs) ideal ending for this is just right. 
Bye. That's right. <laughs> because we get no other resolution. No. <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> like, no one in this show. Should we talk briefly about the Meredith Derek thing or should we just. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's this. And this is this is where and I agree that, like, I don't hate Derek in this episode until this moment. Yeah, that's true. And so they, they've sort of run into each other a couple of times in the episode. And as we remember from last week, Derek has promised not to speak to Meredith anymore. And so it's sort of awkward and they're sort of seeing each other in the elevator and avoiding each other. And then <clears throat> there's always other people in the elevator. And then at the end of the episode, <clears throat> Meredith gets in the elevator and Derek's already in there. And so it's just the two of them. And she takes a deep breath and they're sort of traveling in the elevator and she says, I, I miss you. And it's sort of this, like, it's so sad. Like, she is scraping rock bottom. You know, mm-hmm. she just, she just She says it like a sigh. It's yeah. so sad. It just sort of, like, seeps out of her. You know, like, she doesn't even mm-hmm. need to say it, but she does. And Derek walks up from behind her. They're standing a few feet apart, and he walks up from behind her, and he smells... <laughs> Oh, I forgot this one here. Anyway, he smells her hair and he's and it's so uncomfortable and you think that he's going to kiss her and, and he says, you know, I just I can't <laughs> and then walks out of the out of the elevator. And why this is so infuriating, I forgot to mention this beforehand, is that they're in the elevator before this and Meredith ignores him and he says to her, you could at least acknowledge that I exist. And I want to like reach through the screen and just break his neck. <laughs> that I, <laughs> Megan in her notes, <laughs> which caused a literal spit take from me, in her notes said, if she whipped out a scalpel and cut his throat after this line, I would not even bat an eye. I would just casually take another sip of my cider. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, he has made the decision to not talk to her anymore and then yells at her for her obeying this insane decision that he's made. <laughs> a decision he's made and hasn't, like, he. I don't think he's ever had a conversation with her that's like, no. you know, I'm in counseling with Addison. We're trying to make this work, and we've agreed that I can't speak to you anymore. He's never said that to her. She doesn't even know. <laughs> And this is really, this is like the straw on this episode for me. You know, the final straw of just like, I hope all men in the world die. Like, that's how that line left me feeling was like, I had a very, very little bit at the bottom of my tank and this just burned through it. (laughs) And then I was just done. I was like, all right. Our band men tattoo got like really, really solidified. (laughs) Really solidified. Did you make did you make Jacob sleep on the couch just like I'm sorry it's not you but it's all men collectively and I just I need Hank in the bed tonight. I, you I know. Can't be here. I, I told him this morning that it took me he had friends over last night so I was sitting in the bedroom watching this episode and I was in there for hours. <laughs> he finally came to bed and I was like it took me two and a half hours to to get through that and he just gave me this like deeply sad face that I know so well because it's the sad face that tells me like I know how bad we are like you know like I know that there are so many terrible men out there and I'm so sorry period (laughs) (laughs) and it's really like a heartbreaking look from a man who I love more than words can express you know (laughs) all right should we get into some bits let's do it 
You want to give your song of the week? Yeah, my song of the week was a song called Far Away Blues by Joe Purdy. I actually downloaded it last night, and it's it's the song is only about um, maybe 90 seconds long. And I like this song because I'm a real sucker for sad songs that make me sleepy. <laughs> and this song just really fits that profile. Um, it has nothing to do with where it played in the show, but I'm just a sucker for that <laughs> particular genre. Have you gotten the new Bonnie Vera yet? No, have you? No, I haven't. It's on. It's on my list, though. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta get it. Uh, yeah, because I I want to get the vinyl. So yeah, me too. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm hoping I can get it on Amazon. I haven't looked yet. Uh, yeah, totally. But exactly <laughs> same 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 <laughs> yeah. breed of song. Sad songs that make you go to sleep. Uh, exactly. So Bonnie Vera. Bonnie Vera. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How about? Did you have a song of the week? I didn't have a song of the week. I didn't like any of the songs of the week. I will bandwagon on, or I didn't like any of the songs this episode. I mean, I'll bandwagon on Joe Purdy because I like Joe Purdy. Mm-hmm. But I had an anti-song of the week, which was the sad, slow cover of I'll Stop oh, the, melt world, the World melt with You. Yeah, yeah Melt With You, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I... <laughs> I now hate that song because there have there have been so many covers of it. I just oh. I can't deal with it anymore. I'm uh, Death Tally. I forgot I about did it this one week. The, yeah, you did it, and you did it better than me because I forgot about one of the deaths. <laughs> <laughs> I only got one, which was the presumptive death of Esme Sorrento, but yeah, I missed one. Four to six months. Four to right. six months. Four to six months. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the guy who jumped off the roof, Mr. Vargas, he didn't die from jumping off the roof. He died in surgery. Mm-hmm. I don't remember why. Me neither. I dead. think Bailey's line was some people just get on the table and die. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I think that's basically it. <laughs> that should just show how uninvested I was in this storyline yeah. that I just completely forgot that he yeah. died. <laughs> Not even the lead surgeon was invested. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 007? Yeah, I said George. Because yeah, he was, his complete inability to recognize even the most basic signs of depression and suicidal behavior in, in Mr. <laughs> um, uh, Vargas, the patient who jumped, which I yeah. just think is like pretty humiliating. I said I could, I could hear an argument for Derek as he practiced zero medicine in this episode <laughs> and only babied his shadow self through an ego It crisis. was trying to be a medical expert on <laughs> something that an OBGYN case. That's so, right. That's and he's right. So. Uh, again a neurosurgeon. That's right. Um I said I said George, I like that you had actual reasons for George being a bad doctor. <laughs> and I just said that because I don't know why Mr. Vargas died, uh, that I blame George for possibly annoying his patient to actual death. <laughs> I take like that as a real reason. <laughs> <laughs> Chief resident? Chief resident, I gave it to Bailey. Uh, I think nice. she was a really excellent doctor. She was juggling more than anyone, any woman should ever be expected to in the workplace. She dealt with her mansplaining boss. She was juggling several different surgeries and juggling an extremely difficult career choice, all the while with the knowledge that she is pregnant, which is a notoriously difficult thing to be when you are a surgeon. So go yeah. Bailey once again. Yeah. What about you? I I think Bailey's a really good choice. I picked Addison Montgomery Shepherd mm. because she was a really good she was a really good surgeon and advocate yeah. for her patient despite all of the male bullshit happening around her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I was very into it and I really loved the scene where she's taking you know 
naked photos of of Savvy. You know, Savvy's like, this way, Weiss will, you know, he'll have these pictures forever. And I was like, fuck Weiss. But this is cute. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It was a great, like, best friend and doctor moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And potential future lovers moment. Yes. (laughs) Karev of the week. (laughs) We had the same answer. (laughs) We both... We just said men. <laughs> it's just men. Just men. Except for, ironically, yep. Karev himself, right? Yeah. Do you yeah, want to talk a little bit Karev. about, should we talk a little bit about Karev at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alex is very, he's surprisingly like, you know, pro-surgery, pro-surgical intervention. Izzy's having a really hard time with uh, with Savvy's choice. And, and for totally reasonable, you know, she has she has totally valid reasons for being uncomfortable with it. And I don't think she goes overboard in her conversations with Savvy for a change, which is nice. Yeah. But Alex is very much, you know, like, yeah, I definitely you should, you know, breasts iron everything like breast implants are really great these days. Like, right. You can even upgrade like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and and Izzy sees this as as particularly like insensitive or cold of Alex mm-hmm. until Alex is like. You know, he's like, I love your breasts, but if if you if you didn't have them, I'd still want to get with you. I mean, it's not particularly articulate, but it's really very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also pretty equal opportunity. You know, she's like she's like, would you cut off your testicle or no? Would you cut off your penis? And he was like, yeah, if it would save my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, and so I, uh, yeah, he's he's just very kind of pro body autonomy. This episode. That's right, which is great. Yeah, he's the really one, nice. the one exception to the Karev of the week is Karev himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good job, Karev. Great work. Way to go, buddy. Maybe so. This week it's called the Weiss of the week. That's right, the Weiss of the week, <laughs> and it's, it's all men except Karev. <laughs> Seriously. So should we do line of the week real quick? Yeah, let's do line of the week because our medical fact of the week could could take a little while. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So line of the week, I had the line from Bailey. I think that there was there was two for me. I ultimately chose the line from Bailey when she says men from the very beginning, they suck the life right out of you because I felt <laughs> it was very on point with this episode. I also what was yours? It might be the same as my other one. I really liked Savvy's yeah. line to Derek. I'm sorry, Derek, because I love you and I'm really glad to see you. But until you grow a uterus and watch your mother die from this disease, you don't get you don't get a vote. Which is a common sort of rallying cry about like yep. pro- with among like pro-choice people. Yeah. And it's just used to great effect here. So medical fact of the week. Uh, do you want me to just do my little bit first and then you can go into yours? Yeah, sure. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I was interested in um, hysterectomies. I have always been of the, uh, it's something that I was really misinformed about. Um, I always assumed wrongfully that when you have, when a woman has a hysterectomy that she goes through early menopause and I've known many women to get hysterectomies, you know, after having children or wanting to be done having children. Um, And I always was, I always questioned that, right? Like, oh, does that mean you go through menopause sooner? And it's, I don't know why I didn't just look it up sooner because I just assumed that that's, that's what happened, right? You would cease to have periods, which means that your body would eventually go into menopause. So that's actually is wrong. Uh, It doesn't happen. So 
menopause happens when you don't, when your body doesn't produce estrogen anymore. And estrogen is actually produced by your ovaries. And when you have just a basic hysterectomy, it's only the removal of your uterus and they actually leave your ovaries and fallopian tubes behind. And what happens then is, and so then I, I, I Googled post hysterectomy, what are your fallopian tubes attached to? <laughs> and, and the answer is nothing. Uh, they, they, they just leave your ovaries where they are and your fallopian tubes just sort of dangle in your, in your, where your uterus once was. And so your ovaries will continue to make eggs and they will travel down through the fallopian tubes and are just sort of released into the nothingness of your abdomen and your, your body just absorbs the eggs. And so that estrogen is still being produced. Right. And, and I think that there's a chance that you might go through menopause a little bit earlier for reasons that I'm not totally clear on, but, but ultimately it's not, it's not your uterus that's responsible for that particular um, transition. So what does cause premature menopause and, and why savvy is going to be going through premature menopause is a removal of the ovaries, right? And her, you know, she's concerned about ovarian cancer. And so when you have your ovaries removed, it's called an oophorectomy, which is a great word. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that then of course your ovaries are gone, your tubes are gone, your uterus is gone. And you, your body ceases to produce estrogen, which causes not only early onset um, menopause, but also sudden menopause, right? Menopause usually happens over the course of, of a couple of years. And, and this causes it quite suddenly, which can be, of course, um, a shock to the system a little bit, which is uh, one of the scarier sort of side effects of what savvy is going to be going through. So I share that fact because I think that it's interesting, but also because I think that I'm probably not alone in the misinformation and sort of lack of education about how hormones play a role in the female reproductive system. And I think that it's once again showing that we are, you know, <laughs> sex education is, and particularly female reproductive education is really not where it should be. And I'm embarrassed that I'm, you know, in my late 20s and didn't know that <laughs> fact that estrogen was produced by ovaries and that's what caused menopause. So right, right, I am right. passing that information along <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> did you know that? I I don't think that I did. I think that I assumed, yeah, I think I assumed you just immediately went into into menopause but I think that I I think my issue was that I thought a hysterectomy removed all of that stuff <laughs> yeah 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 so I think no, that was my issue <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting so so savvy actually has three separate procedures right her double mastectomy her hysterectomy the removal of her uterus I'm sorry double mastectomy the removal of both her breasts hysterectomy removal of her uterus and an oophorectomy which removed both of her ovaries and her fallopian tubes yeah so yeah, I definitely thought that a hysterectomy in an oophorectomy, like I thought that a hysterectomy accomplished all of the things. Right. Took the whole. Yeah. The whole song and whole dance. Whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> That's <just> right. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That's that's my just sort of medical tidbit of the week is what I will say. And I know that you have something a little bit more thorough to, to share with us. Yeah. So this this piece got me or this episode immediately got me thinking about um, Angelina Jolie's choice in 2013 to have a preventative double mastectomy because she tested positive for the for a mutation on the BRCA2 gene. And mm -hmm. She wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about her her choice. So 
so basically what happens is this is from the Mayo Clinic. And then I want to just share some snippets from her op-ed. But the Mayo Clinic describes, you know, the gene testing as a blood test that uses DNA analysis to identify harmful changes or mutations in either one of the two breast cancer susceptibility genes, BRCA and BRCA2. And the basically they talk about how there are a lot of prevention options aside from surgery. So you could do increased screening, right? So getting mammograms more frequently, et cetera, checking yourself. Sure. You can do oral contraceptives actually can help to prevent. Um, but the, the risk of breast cancer actually does go up slightly if you use oral contraceptives for more than five years. So that's yeah. a kind of, ticky tacky thing and then there's also the medication option chemo prevention so there's there's a couple of drugs probably the most well-known of which is called tamoxifen which reduces the risk of developing breast cancer by about 50 percent in women who are at an increased risk of the disease whether because of the genetic mutation or family history etc so angelina jolie in 2013 so of course she's she's like one of my heroes. I stand for Angelina Jolie hard. I think she's great yeah. and possibly one of the most beautiful women ever. <laughs> yeah, she might have been developed by science. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. We created her in a lab, which yeah. you know, as as horrible as it sounds or as horrible as it may be, it kind of lends more. How do I want to say this? More weight to her choice to do this yes. because she's internationally recognized as a symbol of beauty and womanhood, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So there's a certain import that goes along with her choice here. So she writes this op-ed. It's, it's really beautiful. She talks about her mother dying at the age of, I think, 56 or 57 after fighting cancer for 10 years. And she doesn't specify whether it was ovarian or breast, but she, you know, she talks about how hard that was. And she's talked about that on several occasions. She was really quite close to her mother. So she decided to have this test done, the gene test, and her doctors estimated that she had an 87% risk of breast cancer and a 50% risk of ovarian cancer. So she tested positive for the gene mutation, right? But mm -hmm. only a fraction of breast cancers actually result from an inherited gene mutation. So that's, that's mm. an important distinction to make. Yeah. And then th those who do test uh, positive for the mutation have a 65% risk of getting it on average. So, so basically your risk is still variable when you test positive for the mutation on BRCA or BRCA2. So for Angelina Jolie, her doctors estimated that it's an 87% risk. That it the average is 65. So just just to Ooh. keep that in mind. Okay. So she opted to have a post mass um excuse me, a double mastectomy and she her chances now that she's had the double mastectomy dropped from that 87% to under 5% for oh breast God. cancer. Okay? That's staggering, right? Oh my god. Yeah. And so she's she's 
she said she started with the mastectomy because that's what she has. That's what she's at greatest risk for. Right. Was breast cancer. I don't know if at this point she's gone ahead and had the hysterectomy and the oophorectomy. I'm Uh not totally sure, but she in this op-ed seemed very open to that idea, but that this was the more intensive surgery and also the one that this to remove, you know, her, the greatest risk that she had. Right. 87%. Wow. Exactly. That's, that's amazing. So she just, it's, you know, it's not a very long op-ed, but she just kind of walks the reader through why she made this choice. And I think importantly, vitally explaining that it's not the choice for every woman. And that's partly because, you know, some women just don't want to, to have this kind of preventative surgery. It is a massive surgery, but also because of the financial obstacle. So the cost right. of testing for these two mutations is, is more than $3,000 in the United oh States which she acknowledges in the piece. And then you have to, of course, factor in the cost of the procedures themselves if you decide to have these surgeries. Yeah, because I assume uh, because they are preventative surgeries, are, are they considered elective that's, and thus not covered by a surgery? That's I mean, a sorry, great question, and I'm, not, and I'm not totally sure. I, I had that same thought. I was like, well, would this be considered elective because, right. you know, or, or would it be considered preventative care? Either way... Most women in the United States don't have the kind of health care that's going right, to really take care of those costs. Right. Right. So so she acknowledges that. And, you know, it's like this is it's a staggering cost for women. Well, and 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 furthermore, right, if she was obviously so affected by her mother's tenure struggle as, you know, her child has her, you know, her mother's daughter and Angelina Jolie has what, six children. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I would imagine that if you're having a double mastectomy is a huge, huge, huge surgery that takes an enormous amount of recovery time, not to mention, you know, reconstructive surgery, implants, whatever. And so that if you are of unlimited resources, as Angelina Jolie truly is, she's not worried about who's going to take care of her six children, you know, at the time was happily married, has incredible resources and support to be able to have her life carry on without her for six months you know, that like, that's just not a privilege, not only, you know, the finances of the surgery itself, but the recovery time time. off of work and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that most Americans could never afford. Right. So the New York Times, a, a collection of three women sort of wrote a response to this piece, Denise Grady, Tara Parker Pope and Pam Bellock. And you know, they just wanted to provide some clarifications, which I think is super helpful. So nothing yeah. in Angelina Jolie's piece was incorrect, but they just kind of expand. Okay. And they say that mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes are estimated to cause only 5 to 10% of breast cancers um, and 10 to 15% of ovarian cancers among white women in the United States. They go on to say mm. the mutations are found in other racial and ethnic groups as well but it is not known how common they are. <laughs> so. <laughs> Gotta love the medical establishment. Um, but then they go on to say that, you know, that's not their fault. They're just reporting. But they go on to say that about 30% of women who are found to have BRCA mutations choose preventative mastectomies. 30%. I'm sorry, I said 30%. 30%. That's a huge number. Well, I mean, again, though, looking back on 
the demographic of, of somebody who can afford $3,000 in testing, that's, that's actually not all that surprising to me. You know, like if you're seeking out that kind of testing and you test positive, that's kind of a nod toward like, I'm, I'm getting the information and I'm going to do something with this information and I have the resources to do that. Yeah. You know, I think that ultimately like people, I don't know, I guess just that, the people who are getting the tests are not you're not just getting the information for shits and giggles. You know, they're fully prepared to act on it. Right. So 30% to me is not actually all that surprising. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Like a like a chicken and egg kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So my final note on this medical fact of the week, I you know, I would highly recommend reading the op-ed. I think it was a really important moment for women to sort of more openly and, and widely claim ownership of their bodies and of yeah. and of their medical choices, which is always really important. But I also I also understand a lot of the concern around her piece. You know, people were concerned that it was going to cause sort of a rash of preventative mastectomies. And I, I get that. <laughs> I do. I think as we both just discussed, the cost alone is, is probably going <laughs> to be prohibitive to this turning into some kind of, you know, uh, epi- epidemic or something. Right. But I, so I read this book called The Emperor of All Maladies by, I really apologize for saying his name incorrectly, but Siddhartha Mukherjee. Mukherjee. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great book. He writes really beautifully about the history of cancer and he, he really meditates on the ways in which, we've failed women's health generally. And those were the parts of the book that were most affecting to me. And he particularly spends time on the ways in which we failed women and and their bodies and their medical choices. When he talks about radical mastectomies, which used to be the prevailing cancer, breast cancer treatment. And Mm. he says, you know, he describes at one point, radical mastectomy as as getting more and more radical until it became in a quote an extraordinarily morbid disfiguring procedure in which surgeons removed the breast the pectoral muscles the auxiliary nodes the chest wall and occasionally the ribs parts of the sternum the clavicle and the lymph nodes inside the chest oh my god and his descriptions of the way male surgeons of the eagerness male surgeons displayed in disfiguring women's bodies is I think vital to read. And obviously the mastectomies we're talking about are not the same, but I think that there is a legacy here of resorting to disfiguring women's bodies in lieu of finding other solutions. And I Mm. think that's a difficult legacy to sort of reconcile when we look at preventative mastectomies. And so the only way that I feel uncomfortable with, with this as a course of treatment is, is because there's a history of Mm. not really giving a shit if there's another way to help women. Um, Right. Just so, cut them off. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, yeah, I wish I had the, my book is in storage as most of my books are right now. 
uh, because I would have loved to sort of provide a, a longer section um, on our website or something. But I would I would highly yeah. recommend checking out The Emperor of All Maladies. It's it's a thick book. Yeah. <laughs> but um, those were those were definitely like the most profound or poignant moments for me where were mm. when he's talking about he says, you know, quote, medicine once considered virtually infallible in its judgment was turning out to have deep fa- fallibilities, flaws that appeared to cluster pointedly around issues of women's health. So. Yeah. Oh, so on that note, you know, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That's right. <laughs> and That's right. Um, I think a lot of people are aware of the scam that is, you know, like all of the pink shit. And um, and there are a lot of questions around some of the Cancer Foundations, the Komen Foundation, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. you know, do your due diligence in in researching you know, the American Cancer Association is a great organization if you're interested in donating money or time. I, I mean, I would honestly just encourage people to to read these. The op-eds are, are short and they're yeah. quick reads. We'll have them up on our website. I think that, you know, if, if you're not about walking 5Ks or donating money, um, at, at least be be informed. Yeah. Educate yourself. Encourage, encourage you know, the women around you, you know, the the women who are of an age that they should start thinking about mammograms and screenings to, to do so. Um, I know Planned Parenthood provides a lot of those kinds of screenings um, for people who may not have the means to go to, you know, private clinics, et cetera. So, you know, take care of yourselves, advocate for your health because it's the medical establishment. It's not going to a lot of the time. That's right. So, and don't let men make decisions for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag ban men. That's right. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you guys listen to us this week. We hope that uh, it was both informative and, and a little bit fun <laughs> and that you were not turned off by our extreme bitterness. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we love, we love, you know, so many men in our lives. So <laughs> we do. <laughs> We do. Um, you can listen to us wherever you can find podcasts, basically. We're now on Acast, <laughs> Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean. You can check us out on Tumblr, code-grays.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter, at code underscore grays underscore. And you can always reach out to us on Gmail. If we ever, you know, are totally wrong about medicine or something, mm-hmm. please call us out on our shit. You can email <laughs> us. Uh, codegrays at gmail.com that's it all right have a good week let it be let it be let it be